It's a good thing for us to study. First of all, this does come from Scripture. And anything that comes from Scripture, we need to have a good understanding of. And especially if, if we one day are able to have deacons. It's important for us to know the qualifications. It's important to know the job that deacons do and the role that they serve within the church. I want us to, as we begin our study for tonight, first of all, to understand the word deacon. Uh, if we look at it from the standpoint, if I were to give a one-word definition of the word deacon, it would be servant. The word deacon is used in different ways throughout the scripture, and you have words also, uh, there's one that is referred to as a deaconess. And it's not that she holds a role as a deacon in the church, but deacons are servants. They serve the congregation. They are men who serve under the authority of elders. We'll look at that in a moment. But they are servants. So if I were to give a one-word definition of a deacon, it would be someone who is a servant in the church. And there are certain things that, that go along with that. Uh, the way that we understand which type of, of meaning is used in Scripture is by the context of the passage that we're looking at. Uh, but we do understand that, that deacons do serve a very important role uh, when a congregation is able to have them. Our first point in our lesson for tonight is the role of deacons in the structure of the church. And we looked a little bit of, at the structure of the church but I want us to, to kind of review that a little bit because it's important for us to understand how God wants His church to be. As far as leaders are concerned, God has a certain way that He wants them to serve. We have to understand, first of all, that the structure of the church begins with Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Notice what is said in Ephesians chapter 1. And beginning with verse 22. And he put all things under his, Christ's feet. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. As we look at different denominations. And for those of you that may have come from a denominational background, we see that there are many religious beliefs that do not structure themselves necessarily under Christ as the head. Uh, there are many who believe the head of the church to be the Pope or, or someone else. As far as the congregation is concerned, many put themselves under the authority of their preacher. And that's not the way that, that God wants His church to be structured. Even though Jesus is not on earth with us, He is still able to serve His head. And we serve under His authority by going to the Word of God. But all things have been put under the feet of Jesus. And that He is the head over all things to the church. We see Jesus Himself promising the coming of the kingdom in Matthew 16 in verses 15 through 19. Matthew 16 in verse 15 and he said to them but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said you are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said, said to him 
Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice what he says in verse 18. On this rock, the rock wasn't Peter himself, but the rock was his faith. On this rock, I will build my church. He promised that it would be his church. We wear the name Church of Christ. It means that we are the church that belongs to Christ himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ, is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Notice how the family is structured. The husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. It's important that we understand that Christ is the head of the church. And the church is structured under his leadership and guidance. Again, the head of the church is not the Pope or some diocese. It's not a committee of leaders. It is not the church's pastor. The head of the church was never meant to be according to man's choosing, but to God's. The head of the church is Christ himself. All church leaders serve under the authority and headship of Christ, always looking to Him for guidance in how they should lead. We understand also that when we look at the structure of the church, it's important to notice that elders were established in every church. Not just a few of them, but every church is very important that as Paul and Barnabas, as we look at this passage, as they go about their mission of preaching the gospel, that as they establish congregations, that they established an eldership in each one of them. In Acts 14, beginning with verse 21, we read this. Acts 14 and verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas were mentioned 
previously is traveling together, preaching the gospel to those who had never heard it. Paul had been beaten, stoned, and left for dead by the Jews. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, as we read in verse 20 of the same chapter. As Paul and Barnabas went about preaching the gospel, it was their intention to leave each congregation with an established eldership, with an established leadership. And these men were called elders. We have other names that describe their work, such as shepherd, pastors, falls under that as well, bishop, overseer. Those things have great meaning in the work and the role of an elder. But even as elders were established in every congregation, we understand that elders should not be expected to carry every weight and burden of the church on their shoulders alone. Uh, the role of an elder is one that, that as we, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, we understand that there's a, a great deal behind the work of an elder, a great deal of, of things that, that an elder will deal with in his work in the church. And he should not be expected to bear that burden alone. And that leads us to deacons. Deacons serve under the authority and leadership of the elders and they help them to handle some of the daily physical needs of the congregation so the elders can focus primarily on spiritual matters. The specific structure of leadership is referenced by Paul in his letter to the church of Philippi. And this may be the, one of the only places that these two are mentioned side by side. But in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, this is how Paul begins that letter. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi with the bishops, or elders, and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at the role of deacons, we see that though we do not know these men to be appointed as deacons, the principles regarding how they were to serve are similar if not the same. And so let's turn to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And again, Let's be careful not to call them deacons because we don't read that in, in the Scripture. But as I mentioned before, the, the work that they did, the role that they played, served a very similar role as what deacons would in today's church. But in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Something that we find here is the church had a complaint. And, and they did exactly what they needed to do in that case. They didn't complain just to each other. They didn't uh, complain among themselves and, and not really expect things to get better. But they took their complaint to the leaders of the church at that time, the apostles. So we have this complaint that arose against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, 
Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. In the early days of the church, the apostles served for a time as the Jerusalem church's eldership, so to speak. And they realized that some of the needs of the saints were being neglected. God's intention for the church today is for the church to appoint qualified elders and deacons to fill these roles. So that the elders, as they lead the church, are not overburdened. And deacons help to, to serve in different ways. They assist the elders to perform their duties. The qualifications for those serving as deacons are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. We'll look at that more in depth in a moment. But if we are to appoint men to serve the church, providing assistance to the elders in their leadership, we must follow and appoint men who are qualified according to the specifics that are mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Under the guidance and leadership of elders and deacons, the members of the church continue to meet and serve the Lord. Ministers are not given authority to make decisions in spiritual matters regarding the church. Ministers, as do members, serve under the guidance and authority of the elders. Though they can help the elders to make decisions based on the authority of the scriptures, uh, they can help them to understand what the scriptures have to say, them being well-studied men most of the time. They can help them in that area, but they are not given the authority to make decisions for the congregation themselves. Now, members, who are also referred to as saints. All members are referred to as saints. Members, ministers, deacons, and elders together make up the church, the body of Christ. Our leaders are to be respected and even honored for what they do for the church. However, we are all Christians and each is responsible for his own soul. Even elders and even deacons, even those that, that serve in leadership roles in the church, they can stray away. They are humans. And so they have to guard their own souls. And we are to look out for them as well. As we look out for each other. That's part of being in the family of God. Elders in judgment will answer for how they have led the church. But ultimately, they will be judged based on their own faithfulness. If one soul is lost, it will not necessarily be the fault of the elders, as we are responsible for our own souls. We are responsible for each other too, but primarily we are responsible for our own souls. And so we move on in our lesson to the qualifications of deacons. And this is where we'll spend the, the remainder of our lesson tonight. Other than their mention in Philippians 1, the word deacons, at least in the New King James Version, is only mentioned in one other scripture, and that being 1 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy was given instruction by Paul on how to appoint elders and deacons in the church. And so we read these words, 
in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent. And depending on the translation you use, some of these words may be a little bit different. But the basic meaning and understanding is there. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure or clear conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Although the qualifications listed are specifically for uh, appointing deacons in the church, and they are not binding for the faithfulness of every Christian, any of these are solid goals for anyone who desires to be a Christian. As we look at these different things, these different qualifications that Paul gives to Timothy, I want to divide these into four sections, the first of which is the character of someone who serves as a deacon. Let's begin with what he is not to be. He is not double-tongued. He is not speaking one way in the presence of the congregation and another while in the world. A deacon is not one that is going to to do all the things in worship that he needs to do. He, he's not going to be one that, that sings the songs and says prayers and, and maybe even delivers a message or, or something of that nature. And, and then turn around and go into the world and then tell a dirty joke to someone. A deacon is not going to do that. He's not going to be double-tongued. He is not going to be given over to the ways of the world, to gossip, to slander, to deceit. His speech is to always be that befitting a Christian. The words he speaks should only be according to the truth. The truth of God's Word. And so he is not to be double-tongued. He is not given to much wine. In other words, he is not to misuse alcohol or any other abusive substance. There are good reasons that one might use alcohol. You look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, just a little bit further in the same letter. And Paul writes to Timothy, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Timothy was told to use wine for his frequent infirmities. But I also might ask the question of this verse. Why was it necessary for Paul to tell him to use it? You know, a lot of people will, will look at this and say, well, there you go. Drinking alcohol is, is, is okay for a Christian to do. Timothy was told to do it. But why was he told to do it? It seems to me that as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, that Timothy was avoiding 
the use of alcohol, but he wasn't using it. He could, he had the right to do so, and Paul had to tell him to do that. But he was avoiding it for some reason. We understand that throughout Scripture there are many abuses of alcohol that can, can lead to things that are not befitting of a Christian. Too much alcohol will cloud judgment and cause drunkenness, which is explicitly condemned. Look at Luke 21 and verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. Romans 13 and verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. While alcohol is permitted in some cases and even encouraged by Paul for Timothy, the abuse of it would be very, very wrong. If you'll remember in the book of Ecclesiastes, King Lemuel was warned by his mother to avoid the dangers of alcohol. And there are other such texts that, that give us warning about the abuse of it. We, we understand that if we abuse it, if we, we go to the point of drunkenness, if we abuse it in that way, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them with the same flood of dissipation. We have a certain example that we set, and especially leaders in the church have an example that they set. If they go about drinking alcohol for pleasure purposes, for social gatherings or things of that nature, if they do that, they're hurting their image. In the world. 
There are those that, that will look to them and, and if you look at it from both sides, you, you may see a Christian that sees someone doing something like that. They say, well, if he does it, he may, it must be okay. And on the other hand, those that are in the world see us doing something differently and we set an example for them. They wonder why we do things differently than they do. Why we do not participate with them. They may speak evil of us, but we're setting an example for them. And so as, as we look at the role of deacons, they are not to abuse alcohol. They are not to be given to much wine for the dangers that it might cause them and leading them into drunkenness and also for the example that it sets for those around them. Deacons are also not to be greedy for money. Remember what is said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. I do think it interesting that these verses are tied in with the same letter. A little bit further in chapter 6 and verse 10. And Paul writes to him, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now many say that money is the root of all evil. And that's not the case. But the love of it, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Elders, or, or not elders, deacons, elders too, but deacons are not to be greedy. They're not to want money. Now their money can be used for a great deal of things in, in our lives and money is okay. But they are not to love money to the point that it is abused. They need to be careful of their character. And also included in, in this list is something that they are to be. They are to be reverent, as the New King James puts it. The word reverent means feeling or showing deep and solemn respect. Who are they to respect? They need to respect God first and foremost. They need to respect their elders. They need to have a respect for their families. They need to have a respect for fellow members of the church. And even those in the world, they are to be respectful. And there are other words used in different translations. I believe the ASV uses the word grave. They are to be grave. The New American Standard, and I believe also the English Standard, use the word dignified. They are to be dignified. But these things mean basically the, the, have the same principle. They are to be reverent. They are to be respectful of those around them and those who have authority over them. Reference is also given in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to, to a deacon's spiritual maturity. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure or clear conscience. Verse 9. Turning from the outward characteristics of man, Paul turns inward to the soul of a deacon. It's important that the inward man be just as clear, uh, be just as pure as the outward man. It's important to set a good outward example, but the inward man must be much the same. Deacons must be spiritually strong, holding the treasure of the gospel with a clear conscience 
and confidence in his faith. One that is tested or has proven himself to be a worthy candidate. One who is and otherwise found blameless. The word blameless doesn't mean that a deacon should be perfect. But he should be above reproach. He should be above criticism. He needs to be of the character that he doesn't take things personally. He doesn't hold grudges and, and things of that nature. But he needs to be blameless in those things. And as I said, he's not to be perfect. And elders are not to be perfect either. And for us to hold them to a perfect standard would be wrong. It would be binding something that Scripture has not bound. But if he is guilty of sin, if there is something in his life that is amiss, and especially if it is a public sin, he must be willing to repent and do what he can to correct his error. All leaders are examples to fellow members of a congregation, and deacons especially must be good examples to those who may follow them in leadership roles. Deacons have certain responsibilities to the home, their home. You must have a reverent, a respectful wife. Their wives are not to be slanderers. They're to be temperate. They're to be faithful. It's interesting that, that this is noted here. The, the conduct of their wives plays a very important role in how they serve the conduct of the wife reflects upon the work and the office of a deacon. If he has a good reputation but his wife does not, that's something that will hurt him in the long run. That's something that will hurt his image to the church and to the world also. But her conduct should be the conduct of a godly Christian lady. And so one who serves as a deacon... His wife should be of a certain character as well. Deacons, as elders, are to be the husband of only excuse me, one wife. And he must do well in rearing his children and running his home. We are reminded of the qualifications for elders. Go back to verse 5 of chapter 3. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? He needs to be a good leader in the home before he can be a good leader in the church. When we look at men, we see that, that fathers are told not to provoke their children. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. They are to raise them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I'm also reminded of the words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Deacons must be strong fathers and must lead their children in the ways of righteousness, in the ways of God. And finally, we have the evaluation of a deacon. 
Look with me again at verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. As we are told that an elder is worthy of double honor, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, so a deacon is worthy of a good reputation and respect of fellow members. He is confident in his faith, yet humbly submissive to the God that he serves. Deacons have an important role in the church. And when utilized correctly, they, they serve a great purpose. One thing that, that I want to close with as we look at the role of a deacon, and something that is a bit of a misconception to many people, deacons are not junior elders. Just because someone is able to serve as a deacon does not mean necessarily that he needs to serve as an elder later on. Now, there are many deacons that, that do get older and are able to serve in the eldership. But just because someone qualifies as a deacon doesn't mean that he automatically qualifies as an elder. And certainly we need to look very carefully at that. Some may be qualified later on, but they may not be able to handle such responsibility. The role of an elder is very important in the church, but it's one that brings great stress. It's one that, that does have great responsibility behind it. But as we look at deacons, we also understand that, that they are not necessarily the elders' errand boys either. They have an important purpose, and they should be entrusted with responsibility. Elders should not take on every responsibility for themselves, but they should allow the deacons to be responsible for certain things. Deacons serve well when they are given responsibility over certain programs. When I was growing up, we didn't necessarily have someone who was necessarily a youth minister. He certainly wasn't paid to do what he did. But he was a deacon, and he was in charge of the youth program. And I think he did a very good job in, in his role. And deacons can be entrusted with other responsibilities within the church as well. Um, maintenance can be given to uh, a deacon. Uh, things of that nature. There are different things that elders should entrust the deacons to handle that responsibility. And they should be respected when they do handle those responsibilities well. And again, as I mentioned before, we don't have deacons here. And so that does make this a bit of an odd lesson in that respect. But even so, it is important for us to understand the Word of God. To understand what it says. And when we are placed in a position where a congregation is appointing deacons, we need to understand the qualifications, what they mean, and what they entail to the church. And... If we are appointing deacons, we must only select those who are qualified for the work. And now, close the lesson. I don't know where you stand in your life as a Christian. And again, many of the things that we look at in the qualifications of deacons are, are good things for us to, to notice within our own lives as Christians. Although certain qualifications such as, as 
being the husband of one wife is certainly not a requirement for being a Christian. You don't have to be married to be a Christian. You don't have to be a husband to be a Christian. But there are many things that are found in the qualifications of deacons that we can look to. And understanding what a deacon is. A deacon is a servant. We are all to be servants. We are all to recognize our own responsibilities in serving the church and serving God well. Are you a Christian? Are you a servant of God? Have you obeyed the gospel or is that something that you need to take care of in your life? Maybe it is that, that you've not remained faithful in your life as a Christian. Maybe you need to rededicate your life, repurpose your life for the service of God and Him alone. But if you have any need whatsoever, we always offer the invitation. And please, if you're in need of responding, please do so. We'll give you that opportunity as together we stand and as we sing from 613. Mm -hmm. Take my life and let